Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hey everybody, welcome to a special edition of News Data's Energy West. I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with Clearing Up, and I'm here with two of my colleagues, Jason Fordney and Abigail Sawyer, both with California Energy Markets. And we're here today to talk about a shift that is going to fundamentally change the energy sector in the West, or at least has the potential to, as we potentially move from the balkanized, disparate uh, structure today where every utility has its own balancing authority or every balancing authority is its own you know, kingdom unto itself, to moving to a collective confederation of uh, under regional transmission organization or independent system operator in layman's parlance, an organized market. There's a lot of talk going on about it right now. There's a couple market proposals out to expand market collaboration, but not go the full step to a regional transmission organization or RTO or independent system operator, ISO, which kind of are the same thing, but we'll get into that. So there's a lot of talk out there. So we wanted to sit down and hash some of this out to see where things stand right now. So Jason, first, could you give us an overview of what the difference between some of these terms are like day ahead market and balance market, RTO, ISO, what help us out here? Sure thing, Dan. Well, what we have in place right now, of course, uh, the California Independent System Operator, ISO, that serves most of California. There, As you said, there is no regional organized wholesale market in the West, but as we've seen major momentum building that way, and we've been covering this quite a bit in our publications, Kaiso runs a uh, day-ahead energy market currently um, and also operates the Western Energy Imbalance Market, which is a more region-wide balancing market, multi-state, but it is just a real-time balancing market. The day-ahead market has several different market processes. It has uh, market power mitigation. Uh, It has an integrated forward market and establishes uh, the generation needed to meet forecast demand on a day-ahead basis. What we have right now, and we'll get into this the sort of competing proposals between Southwest Power Pool and Kaiso. What Kaiso has done is proposed bringing its day ahead market across the footprint of the energy imbalance market, which right now is quite large. It has portions of Arizona, California, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, Utah, Washington, Wyoming. Uh, extends all the way to the border with Canada. However, it is just a real-time balancing market. It is not a day-ahead market nor an RTO. So we have a multi-year effort here to bring that EDAM across the EIM. And this is seen as maybe, or not maybe, it's seen as a precursor to a Western RTO. and then you have also SPP has its Western Energy Imbalance Services Market, which is very similar. Uh, SPP also pushing, um, you know, to exploring an RTO in various ways. Um, and as far as an RTO compared to an imbalance market and a day ahead market, uh, uh, RTO is obviously regional. It has centralized dispatch. It has a wholesale market um, day ahead. Pricing, real-time pricing, 
but a major difference is the governance and the way it is operated and um, sort of supervised. So yeah, we have to summarize, we have Kaiso bringing its day ahead market across the footprint of the EIM. You have SPP pushing its uh, imbalanced services market and uh, working to also maybe establish an RTO. And there's been quite a history here with what you call regionalization of Kaiso, which would be this Western RTO. We can get more into that soon. Uh, there's politics mixed in with it. There's uh, political interests, labor groups. Uh, so a lot to digest and discuss here, but uh, hopefully that lays out the, the territory a little bit for us. Yeah, so the RTOs, ISOs, they they oversee wholesale markets, also uh, day ahead and real-time imbalance markets. Uh, and day ahead is, as you said, just to make sure we've all got it straight, uh, that's looking at the day ahead. That's, uh, it's, and then you kind of do a shorter segment, imbalance market, typically five minute intervals, as far as I understand, at least with the EIM and what's proposed by SPP's market plus in the West. Uh, that sound all about right? Yeah, uh, that does sound about right. You know, day ahead, um, the EDAM, it's just day ahead scheduling. Uh, there's also the real-time market and a five-minute market that uh, Kaiso operates as part of its wholesale market. Abigail, what's uh, can you give us a little bit of an overview about uh, SPP Markets Plus proposal? Yeah, um, the SPP Markets Plus is actually similar to Kaiso's EDAM day ahead market proposal. They're they have recently issued a, a draft offering, and uh, they also have a commitment from several utilities further west in Arizona and in the Northwest to pursue the next phase of their Markets Plus development, and are really looking at that as a stepping stone toward a westwide RTO that they would operate. And SPP is very interesting because they've actually been operating an RTO in the Eastern Interconnection since 1941. And um, despite its uh, its name, the Southwest Power Pool is not located in what we would, anyone um, would currently regard as the Southwest, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, maybe I'm a bit particular about that particular phrase. Yeah, but I mean, The Southwest <laughs> states were like part of the country by 1941. I don't, you know, yeah, there's no- It wasn't like, really well understood though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I mean, there's the Northwest. Yeah. 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 Cal Chicago was part of the Northwest Territory at one point, but that was like the edge of what was settled. Uh, Arizona, New Mexico, these were states when they, yeah. they were just like, we'll call ourselves the Southwest. Yeah, we're in Arkansas, but that's okay. Well, I guess it's all about your orientation. And uh, we in the West have long been trying to get the attention of the perhaps more peopled uh, areas of the country. But the Southwest Power Pool, misnomer that it is, is headquartered in Little Rock, Arkansas, and which which is actually a pretty centralized location uh, since they have been running this multi-state, 17-state RTO since 1941. I don't think it's had 17 states since 1941, but it does today. And they are very serious about moving ahead with uh, plans for the West. And they've got some strong commitments from the folks in the Northwest, uh, BPA included, um, several utilities in Arizona, and also some really strong commitments from Colorado utilities, which are also really in a 
central location geographically. Really, there are entities that could tie into the eastern or the western interconnection right there on the Colorado border. So lots going on. Yeah, and at the risk of complicating things for listeners, in addition to the Markets Plus stuff that with those commitments to that, we also have a handful of utilities and other entities that are members of an imbalance service that SPP is already running in the Western interconnection, uh, the Western Energy Imbalance Service Market. Correct. Which is right, which is basically a a counterpart to CAISO's EIM. And uh, yeah, they, there are Colorado entities participating in that. And uh, that, that was an interesting situation. Uh, Several of those were planning to join CAISO's EIM and then one decided to uh, mutiny, if you will. <laughs> um, perhaps that's a strong term, but one one broke from the pack and decided to join up with SPP, and the others followed suit. That's basically well, and happened. and more importantly for right now, uh, several the current members of the Weiss have uh, the SPP has given them terms and conditions uh, to sign contracts uh, to join SPP's existing RTO, kind of like a Western branch of the existing RTO. So not Markets Plus, but a be full-blown members of the RTO that SPP currently runs. Which is very interesting. Um, and that, you know, those would be those entities uh, that that have that geographic capacity to kind of go either way, uh, which which could be really exciting. I don't see, see it as imminent that we're bringing both grids together in the next year or anything, but that would certainly be yeah. moving in a direction. Wow. Dan, you, you've done some coverage of this, of a lot of these parties basically giving equal play to both proposals at this point, both SPP and CAISO, and sort of want to see how things play out. Yeah, okay. it, there's a certainly an interest by all the parties who've been participants in these two processes of developing the CAISO's EDAM and SPP's Markets Plus to really, they've really tried to be agnostic about the two. Now, there are you know, kind of institutional issues that might push an entity, depending on where they are, what their history is, towards one or the other. But at least uh, in terms of public facing, they're uh, doing a good job. And I, I think sincerely of being very ag- agnostic. You know, in the end, we'll see what the numbers are. That said, there are some like issues, especially around governance, et cetera, that it's mm-hmm. really going to come down to the bottom line. What do they see as the best for their you know, serving their customers within the parameters that they have to make that decision? Because there are some realities like physical infrastructure uh, and state mandates that are going to be guiding their decisions. But and then at the same time that we've got all this stuff going on, there's some ancillary organizing that's going on uh, that I'll just give a quick overview here. So we've got the Western Resource Adequacy Program, the RAP that's being stood up right now. And that is essentially, there's a lot of concerns that the West faces looming capacity shortfalls or the danger of having capacity shortfalls, which worst case scenario would mean blackouts. Not necessarily, but there's yeah, it, a load shedding event, worst case scenario, blackout. So this group uh, of 26 entities stretching from Arizona up into British Columbia 
they've been working for, this has been a process that's been in the works for about three years now, I think, if I recall correctly. They are standing up this organization. It's kind of like a capacity surplus sharing market, to, which is not a good description of it. It's not a market, but it's a, essentially it's to streamline and make more efficient the sharing of surplus energy to make sure that that all the members can meet their demand. And that uh, that's in the process of going from they're in the non-binding phase now, and they're asking for some financial commitments from folks and they'll be moving to the next uh, phase in terms of kind of the evolution to getting this to be a full, uh, fully implemented so they're in the process right now of standing it up. Uh, they hope to go live fully in 2025. And this factors into SPP's Markets Plus proposal, which is largely relying on RAP to provide a resource adequacy kind of backstop for its participants. We can get into that more. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is the Western Markets Exploratory Group, which has a terrible acronym, but uh, WMEG. Uh, right. So I'll just call it the, yeah. The exploratory group. This is a group of about a, a dozen or so large entities. It, it's more than that. I don't have the number right I off think, top of my head. Is it a dozen? Okay. I, I thought it was all Western states that aren't California. Um. No, it's it's not it's not by states. It's by utilities. Sure, sure um, but I but representation from. Oh, which, you know, yeah. I've never looked at the map actually about uh, if all the states are. That's a good good question. Yeah, no, it probably does, but I don't know if it's on my head. I'd have to go look at the list. That, that, but, that's what I recall because I've written about it a little bit too. And it was yeah. just, uh, it, it stood out to me like, it, uh, we're all coming to the table, but you're not invited. Because <laughs> I think. Uh, well, certainly uh, it's the yeah. biggest players in the West. And yeah. which is interesting in that they, so they're, it's this group of major utilities, kind of power players in the Western energy sector who are working together to figure out, uh, identify this. And again, this is one of the things where they're trying to be agnostic, but uh, they, you know, they say like, we're just trying to figure out a process to get to having options about increasing market collaboration. And we'll all make the individual decisions in the end, which I I mean is, yeah, sure. Of course they're going to, you know, it's going to come down to the bottom line for each person or each entity. At the same time, you have to think, well, if you guys are all getting together like and coming up with a roadmap to get to an RTO eventually one day, a viable roadmap, not a commitment to say we're going to go down this road, but just saying, here's a path that we think is a viable way to get to an RTO or an ISO. Um, you have to think if there's that kind of consensus building to, if they're doing all the work to build a consensus behind a to find a way to get to an RTO it's hard to see how most of them don't then you know hold hands and skip down that road but they they say that you know it's up to each individual entity and of, of course ultimately it will be but that is an interesting group and they are supposed to be coming out with that roadmap by the end of the year they've been holding their cards fairly close to their chest so to speak uh, so we'll see how much how transparent they are about their findings, but certainly an entity to watch that I think will have a really big influence potentially on 
what the eventual market structures in the West look like. For sure. Yeah. And we have quite a history to discuss here, I guess, in terms of uh, previous efforts to establish an RTO. Um, California has been working on regionalization for years. They had legislation in 2018 that didn't make it through. Uh, there's a recent bill uh, that I'm actually writing about this week to study regionalization again. And uh, we can get into this more, but really the crux of this um, is California's reputation across the West, I guess, politically and in terms of energy planning, where we've all experienced this, where the other states are hesitant to enter into a market that is controlled by California. I think that's safe to say. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I don't know, you know, the the current regionalization effort has really been opposed in California by the labor unions that don't want uh, generation to be built out of state. Environmental groups also want uh, control over energy planning and renewables and don't want fossil fuels. So I think, you know, we don't want to predict the future, but uh, SVP has really come on strong and Kaiso has some sort of legacy issues. Uh, and then, you know, we had the blackouts in 2020 that didn't help. So uh, wouldn't you all say it's safe to say that California has a little bit of a problem there in terms of pushing forward a, a westwide market just because of the history in California? I feel like that's putting it very mildly. <laughs> I tried. I tried. <laughs> well, I, I everybody think... hates California. How about that? No. Well, that's that's a bit strong. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Too far. I, I think Too far. <laughs> I think both Kaiso and SPP really have something to offer. However, I, I find like the the exploratory group to be a very interesting development. Uh, just the fact that they're coming together and they're let's talk amongst ourselves here. They're not inviting, as I mentioned, they're not inviting Kaiso to the table, but they're not inviting SPP either. But these states, these in between states, are they definitely know that they're stronger together. And so whatever they can work out to agree on behind closed doors, because they're not talking a lot, uh, they'll be able to improve what they can get out of a developing RTO or perhaps even a developing day ahead market, whatever they decide to join. So it's interesting to see them come together in that way. And we'll see if they actually speak with one voice when it comes time to talk. But uh, they're giving yeah. Kaiso something to think about. There's no question. I'm looking at one, one of your stories says uh, exploratory group is 14 utility members representing 70 gigawatts of load, 13 million customers across the Mountain West, Desert Southwest, Pacific Northwest, and a formidable group of uh, utilities here. Indeed. Yeah. It's, it's the biggest players in that region mm -hmm. for sure. And yeah, so they they definitely bring a lot. And you know, if you're looking at some of the big population centers in a, in the Southwest and Intermountain West states and Northwest as well, you know, they're competing with Kaiso on peak load uh, when you when you bring them together for sure. So it's interesting. Okay. Yeah, we do have one California entity, Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, is part of the exploratory group, which is kind of interesting. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah, but that's it from California. Yeah, yeah. I there's certainly it makes sense for 
folks in the West to work together as much as possible. Uh, just looking at the population numbers here, the the rest of the states in the West outside California, so Washington, Arizona, Colorado, Oregon, Utah, Nevada, New Mexico, Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming, their combined population as of 2021 census estimates, 37 million. Yeah. California, 39 million. There you go. <laughs> we got the people here for sure. So, I mean, and that, that goes back to the governance issue too, where all these states would, uh, if, if it's California, even if you have it, okay, we'll have representation by you know, uh, your size for the entities participating in a market that was run by Kaiso. Well, California would still be, you know, I just going off population numbers, not mm-hmm. obviously this would depend on load, but the you know, California would be at least roughly half the size of the, the participants, uh, certainly population. And I would guess load as well. So yeah, there's certainly a lot of concern about just being sucked into California's orbit. Uh, and like you said, there's a lot of history behind that. Um, some of it is cultural, some of it's, you know, fair, some of it's just kind of, like I said, I guess, uh, force of habit. Sure. I, I, yeah, I think that's true. But there, there's also, uh, there's some real things that have happened in recent history that have kind of raised the ire of some of these folks in, in the in-between states. Yeah, I feel them. like there's something that happened back in like 20 or 2001, 2002. <laughs> what was that? Uh, oh, man. It's, uh, I was just at, you know, NARUC, the Utility Commissioners, uh, National Associ- Association of Regulatory Utility Commissioners. And right out of the box, um, they started talking about the California energy crisis of the early 2000s. It's Definitely still uh, fresh on the minds of many utilities and uh, power system participants. And uh, yeah, maybe for good reason. And then, you know, we had bankruptcy of PG&E in 2020 for the second time. Uh, So, yeah, somewhat of a a checkered checkered history. Um, But California soldiers on. And, um, you know, there's some success stories, too. Kaiso is a very efficient organization, very nimble, um, but uh, with a unilateral sort of planning process, political situation in California, it definitely has an impact on things. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's but, hard to be first too, right? I mean, California sure. moves ahead and uh, they get dinged for all the mistakes they make, but somebody has to go out and make them. So yeah, yeah there's that. And then again, the uh, what I was referring to was the wheel through controversy where California decided after the 2020 blackouts, so we're going to prioritize this before wheeling through to other entities in the EIM. And yeah. uh, they, they, other entities in the EIM were not particularly pleased with that choice, uh, especially after the Texas, well, what I refer to as the Texas energy crisis of 2021. I mean, it was, it, it had its biggest impact in Texas, but it affected that the entire region because that's week long storm. And I think that just kind of sent a flag up to a lot of folks who were considering whether to further their commitments with Kaiso and today ahead markets or potential RTOs and go well, like, wait, we're like, you know, just the, uh, the afterthought right. here, you know, it's like, Oh, nice to have when you're 
when you're helping us out, but we're going to prioritize our own needs in, a, was, in a crisis. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that, that's kind of the take that I'm seeing from the, in, when I Arizona, covered the Arizona in particular. Uh, before yeah, we get Arizona too, was real unhappy about that. Before we get too far along here, uh, let's, can we, let's stop and uh, I'd like to compare the uh, the governance proposals because we've been talking about that a bit. So, Jason, uh, you've been covering Kaiso Udam. Uh, mm-hmm. I Abigail and I have been focusing more on SPP Markets Plus. So, what is the governance proposal right now with the Edam? Well, it doesn't have a new governance, you know, panel as you would have with an RTO. Um, there's really two separate authorities in California. You have the Kaiso Board of Governors, then you have the EIM governing body. Um, so while there's probably market rules governing this, there isn't a proposal for a new, you know, west-wide governance structure. Um, the EIM, you know, has its existing uh, structure, which is has more. Uh, regional participation and say the Kaiso board, which is simply appointed by the governor. So there's changes afoot for the EIM um, governance. Kaiso and EIM share authority on some decisions. Some decisions are strictly the Kaiso board. Uh, but yeah, a little different than you would have with the Western RTO and an entire new governing structure proposal. Yeah. So like with the SPP Markets Plus, uh, the structure that they've come up with in their proposal has been very explicit about where they draw the line between what decisions the SPP's board of directors would have a say over and what decisions would be left to just uh, the panel running the Markets Plus uh, program. So they, SPP has said basically the only decisions that would go to the board of directors would be stuff that materially affects SPP as a whole, like contract issues in terms of signing with SPP to be a member of Markets Plus. Uh, It also is kind of like the final board of appeals for decisions that are disputed within Markets Plus, uh, assuming it, it comes along. Is it clear in the proposals that have come out from Kaiso with the EDAM where that line is drawn in terms of the governance structure? What would what Kaiso's board would have, uh, what their purview is versus decisions that would be made by representatives of the participants of EDAM and EIM? Okay, well, what I can say about it, the EDAM would be voluntary, um, allowing for easy entry and exit for EIM entities. Um, They've promised fair and reasonable rates for EDAM onboarding and participation. Um, And, uh, they're also considering various enhancements enhancements that are proposed in other policy uh, initiatives. But uh, again, I think it, it would be a Kaiso run um, market, and it's an extension of the Kaiso day ahead market that's only in the Kaiso footprint. So uh, I assume my assumption is that most of the decision making would be by the Kaiso board. Uh, but where Kaiso really takes a lot of input is in their stakeholder processes. So uh, when you have, you know, wider participation, you would have wider participation in those processes, comments, and um, you know, molding of this market with some regional input. 
At, at the end of the day, however, who's on the Kaiso Board of Governors? There, isn't there a, a government connection to who sits on that board? Yeah, it's appointed by the governor. Uh, it's yeah. a five-member board. And yeah, that's, yeah. you know, it's pretty, uh, pretty specific or pretty unilateral uh, appointed by the governor. Right. Or the EIM is is done through a nominating committee and a very um, detailed nomination process. So mm-hmm. a little bit different. And I think, you know, the fact that the Kaiser board is appointed by the governor and some of our current governor and our past governor's positions are very clear on certain issues is part of the reason for some of the hesitation for other parties in the West. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And uh, I know SPP really touts its stakeholder driven process mm-hmm. when they're speaking with potential entities uh, and, you know, for Markets Plus and, you know, an eventual RTO. So, and that gets a lot of traction when they're talking to folks in Arizona and Colorado, for sure. And, but to Dan's point, everybody is still really hedging. It, it appears to me, you know, they're all saying like, well, we really want to see what's on offer from both sides. And they know they have the power and it's kind of exciting for them. I think, you know, to try to compete with SPP and Kaiso for an offering that provides the most benefit to the stakeholders in those states. Um, we had the coming together, yeah. The article by Steve Ernst that he did uh, in January was really good, where he, this is a rare thing for us, but got some anonymous quotes from um, Northwest utility executives. Uh, particularly on the public power side, and uh, they were pretty um, pretty direct. You know, said it's hard for them to imagine that uh, the legislatures and regulators and utilities in the other Western states would ever agree to turn over their energy policy to California. That's how they see this. Um, so you know, there's talk that California puts its rate payers first, um, and you know. Kaiso is seen as a very advanced market, great systems. Uh, the EIM is a success story, 2.4 billion in benefits, massive participation, massive efficiencies. Um, but yeah, that governance is the the, stri- the uh, sticky uh, point here with this. And um, yeah, it says right in this article, the Northwest has never really gotten over the California energy crisis of 2000, 2001. Sorry about that, Dan. And, uh, you know, some of our grid sketchiness in the past couple of years doesn't help. And uh, even though the current CEO of Kaiso is a former Bonneville Power Administration Administrator, Elliot Mainzer, I think he's done some good work in bringing the West together a little bit more than in the past, but still uh, this issue doesn't seem to be going away. Yeah, that uh, bringing him on board, certainly whether it's intentional or not, seems to be a, a- beneficial strategic hire to shore up Kaiso's reputation or trust, uh, build trust with other entities, at least in the Northwest. I know certainly, I mean, there's a lot of concern with giving up independence, well, to any entity, of course, uh, but certainly to uh, California, which yeah, yeah. has you know, people have various views on that, but you know, 
it's less of an issue, obviously, with the imbalance market, which is five minute intervals, kind of just tweaking the edges. And even the day ahead market, governance doesn't seem to be as it's not a non starter. It is a concern. It's a big concern, yeah. but it is not necessarily a non starter. So I think from what I've seen, what I've heard, entities would be okay with an EDAM governance structure that wasn't independent of wasn't wholly independent of um, the Kaiso governors or uh, directors appointed by the governor of California. I think they'd be okay with a governance structure that is not entirely independent of the board of directors of directors who are appointed by the governor of California. But it's one thing as one of my sources saying to me, you know, it's one thing when you're talking about tweaking the margins or even the day ahead, which is still, you know, not your base load. It's not the the majority of your load. Uh, It's, that's one thing moving to an RTO or something like that. You know, that's like giving over the keys to the car and just saying here you drive. And yeah. that is going to be you know, from, especially in the Northwest, especially States you know, outside of the I five corridor, Western Washington, Western Oregon, which uh, very liberal politically areas predominantly uh, in, in terms of a lot of the politics, at least the majority of the political views within states have a lot in common with California, its liberal majority. Mm-hmm. But that said, yeah, I mean, yeah, get out past the Cascades and yeah, especially like Boise doesn't want to hand over control to yeah, a bunch of latte sipping <laughs> uh, coastal, yeah, coastal elites in San Francisco. And, and that said, yeah, San Francisco folks, and I, I'm uh, obviously being hyperbolic here, but yeah, people in California, a lot of them in, you know, in San Francisco, in San Diego, wherever, uh, don't want to hand over, don't want to give up their control over Kaiso to you know, folks in Wyoming, Montana, Washington, oh, yeah. even, uh, you know, and certainly, I mean, even Washington, Oregon, even Western Washington and Western Oregon, there it's a very different energy system up here because of hydro from Kaiso, and it's just different priorities, different approaches to how you think about the system. There's that whole dust up a few years ago, the fight over was it um, marginal locational pricing or locational marginal marginal pricing? I can never get the order right. Locational marginal pricing. Thank you. Yeah, about and how. Uh, hydropower was priced in a way the the way that it was working in Kaiso was devaluing hydropower from the perspective of hydropower providers up here. Uh, Kaiso folks obviously had a disagreed, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, ultimately I think that the pricing mechanism was changed to increase the value of hydropower to um, basically kind of pay somewhat for the the reliability, the dependability and uh, capacity value of hydropower. But, but I digress. Well, I think you bring up a really good point, though. I mean, paying for the dependability, the reliability of these resources, what we're going to ultimately come to is just the big benefits of RTO participation 
for all these entities. Whether or not you're giving the keys to the car to SPP or Kaiso or anybody else, you you still get the car. <laughs> the car is there. You know, it, it exists. Um, and and that's a big thing that everybody's looking at. We're talking about what Jason just said: two point four billion on benefits in Kaiso right now in the EIM in the was that within California or beyond, Jason? Or that's um, uh, no, that's across the EIM footprint yeah. for the EIM ben- okay. uh, entities okay. yeah. for California, and then you know SPP cites two point seven billion dollars annually. I mean, these are annual figures, just the billions of dollars of benefits in that, yeah. and the the entities that have joined the EIM are reaping these benefits and they see that the reliability and the efficiency, the cost sharing, the uh, greater access to utilizing the transmission that exists, as well as the transmission that is being built and will be coming online in time or around the time uh, that these RTO, this RTO might uh, actually materialize is going to be a big deal. And, And folks are more powerful together this rto is more powerful than oh yeah you know being possessive about your power and your access to your regional energy you know you're you're very i shouldn't say your regional energy but you're you know idaho may not like the light latte sippers or something but uh they they want to keep the lights on and they would like to see their power bills go down they'd like to know that you know things are working for them then that it's currently being built. It's, you know, the generation and the transmission is, well, it's, it's in those Western states. It's going across those, those middle states. And it's, they also have the land for these massive solar arrays. They also have the wind resources and the solar resources in Nevada and New Mexico and Colorado and Wyoming. And getting that out to those load centers where, you, you know, that, which might be, and oftentimes more politically liberal is going to matter a lot to the people who want to sell it, deliver it, and the people who want to use it. So right. yeah, yeah it, that, they, that negotiation is it's inevitable. And that's that's a great point. You can't talk about uh, increasing market collaboration without in the West without talking about transmission. I mean, one the transmission network in the West right now is it, it's incredibly balkanized. And I'm going to get a text from Paul Dockery about using that term, but sorry, Paul. Uh, it's, you know, every, everybody has their own little fiefdom and their own tariff. And you've got this, what the pancaking of rates. And so one of the great things about an RTO ISO is it flattens that and that'll make it much more easy, efficient, cheaper to wheel power to uh, the load centers that said, you don't necessarily need to. You don't need to join Kaiso to do that. Even if you add two RTOs, it just it reduces the transaction costs considerably. So there's incentive to streamline that transition network. How far it takes us, though, is you know, depends on a lot of factors. Transmission, the, big yeah, issue. Yeah, I mean to say the least, and it's one of these things that's uh, really playing a huge role in how entities perceive these options, EDAM and Markets Plus, and will eventually uh, really color how they view joining an RTO for whatever that looks like when it comes. The other issues uh, that are that's making this conversation more critical at this point 
are you know increasing electrification so we can grow our loads right where we are even if we're not growing our population when we transition to more evs and electric appliances electric heating and also the mandates to reduce carbon the dependence on carbon and you know we've got several states who have committed by mid-century more or less to be running carbon-free grids you know within their you know if you're operating a utility within our state it's not going to be adding to greenhouse gas emissions and that's the law in nevada it's a law in uh new mexico and in colorado um i think it might actually anyway um, yeah there's been a wave there's a wave of legislation and it's of course the law in in california and in washington right um and in oregon and in oregon so So, i mean it's everywhere decarbonization mandates yeah electrification just the market driving that transmission concerns uh developing you know falling costs of renewables what do you guys see as the other critical factors that are changing the conversation around markets and really kind of feel like there's creating this momentum behind market formation that has not been here historically. Those, those are the big ones, but um, Abigail, you've written about this. We we also have several Western states that are going to require RTO participation, right? Yeah. At this point, we have two, Colorado and Nevada, both uh, signed legislation. The governors in those states signed legislation last year requiring those states to the utilities in those states to participate in an RTO by 2030. So yeah. one has to exist and they have to sign on. And we're talking about NV Energy and Excel, uh, Colorado, <clears throat> Black Hills Energy. Uh, you know, um, there might be some some size requirements around, you know, whether or not you're required to participate within these laws. So I'm not yeah. sure if it's every single utility in Colorado. Um, also, Colorado has a lot of co-ops and while they are also part of a of a larger wholesale co-op um, in a lot of cases, which has different has some different rules around it, but they're also interested in joining um, in going in this direction. And I think a lot of that is like if we're going to meet these mandates, we're going to have to start using our transmission in the most efficient way possible. We're going to have to be able to share these resources across time zones if you know effectively like when uh, the sun is going down in california the wind is picking up in central and eastern new mexico and that transmission that's being built right now the sunzia line the western spirit line that's moving those electrons westward is going to make a big difference in whether or not you're able to charge your car on carbon free renewable power overnight so I um it's, it I seems wonder, like yeah, got to do this. These these state mandates to join an RTO I I don't know if it's going to hold up legally, you know, it's always been voluntary Federal Energy Regulatory Commission FERC has always left RTO participation as voluntary. There was a court ruling in California where the CPUC uh passed a resolution that the utilities have to join CAISO it was struck down. Um, although, you know, I don't see them leaving Kaiso, but were, was there much opposition to those, those, that legislation? And do you think there might be some court action on that or is it pretty non-controversial? You know, I don't, 
I don't see any controversy behind it because I really see the utilities being interested in going that direction. Okay. And what I, you know, the laws are also pretty vague in terms of what they define as an RTO. I don't believe the words RTO are actually, or, you know, regional transmission organization are actually within the laws themselves. I went looking for it once. Uh, it's been a little while, but, you know, it describes the functions of an RTO more than says you have to go across states. Um, so, you know, your point about FERC leaving it up to voluntary um, decisions uh, is a good one. But, you know, the will is the will ap appears to be there. And, you know, the legislators that crafted those laws in Nevada and Colorado, both they actually talked with each other. So the laws are very similar, um, just, you know, tailored to the particular states, of course. And there's interest elsewhere in in that kind of legislation emerging. So I expect we'll we'll see it. Yeah, probably see more states doing yeah. that. And we have seen a lot of utilities just kind of, you know, reading the writing on the wall and participating in legislation. Not that that's a new thing, but participating in legislation to create these renewables or carbon-free mandates and things like that, you know, so that they have a place and they get something out of this transition. So, we, you know, we definitely saw that in New Mexico with the Energy Transition Act. Uh, PNM, Public Service Company in New Mexico, was very active in the formation of that law, which, you know, enabled them to also securitize the stranded assets in their coal plants as they step out of it. So utilities have big legal teams and they can figure out a way to benefit from these changes. Um, I don't think we're going to see them, you know, suffering too much. Sure. <laughs> they're they're going to make the best of it, I imagine. Another thing I think that we really want to be paying attention to as things move ahead with with the EDAM markets plus, et cetera, is if we start to see utilities or entities, um, you know, uh, a critical mass of entities sort of joining up with one or another, uh, CAISO versus SPP. And if that starts to make a given and uh, potential RTO organizer, more appealing, you know, just sort of like we saw uh, in the example I gave about Colorado that where where utilities were all considering joining the Kaiso EIM, and then uh, Colorado Springs Utilities decided to change course and, and join the SPP Western Energy and Balanced Service Market instead, and the other Colorado entities followed suit. So, mm -hmm. yeah, with, with what we've seen so far, you know, a lot of interest in SPP. It'll be interesting to see if uh, a similar trend develops. Yeah, certainly. I mean, there's just uh, to, on one hand, there's just the benefit of the more entities you have in a market, the greater, theoretically, at least the market benefits are. At the same time, though, you just, we have real world kind of like uh, even physical limitations that would affect that based on where entities are. If, yeah, if, if uh, BPA and Pacific power join an SPP Western RTO, that makes it a lot harder for a Northwestern energy in Montana or even Idaho power to join Kaiso if they wanted to, or if a uh, you know, Kaiso backed RTO, right? So there, 
there's a trans the transmission map i think certainly will affect the decisions in terms of you know if your neighbors all choose to go one way you know you don't want to be islanded uh, increase right. costs when you yeah, know that, right. that could change the bottom line that said as the spp markets plus uh their proposal they're open to creating islands of markets plus participants and securing transmission capacity rights between the islands and figuring that out uh, it, interesting to see that, but they're certainly leaving the door open as, you know, hey, look, if it if it pencils out, why why should that stop us from you know, creating islands of markets plus? Well, so they can they could do that in a day ahead, but it, they can't really do that in an RTO though, because oh, yeah. you know, the yes, transmission yes, yes. would be yeah really managed by by a single entity. So that's you know that's a that's a key distinction yes. that I, I just want to put out there you know that that's, yeah, that you. would yeah. change everything sure yeah i think it's a good point abigail there's definitely cumulative benefits the more members you have we've seen that in the eim and you know i've, I've heard from utilities just as they see more and more other parties in the west you know it's almost a no-brainer they have to join so i would definitely see that as a factor whoever starts getting momentum first and uh we'll see how that plays out it should be interesting yeah, as as for now, it it really does seem unclear as to who has the lead, uh, or it, it doesn't seem like there's one one horse. If you're betting on horses, these were mm-hmm. horses, uh, right? The, the it's, neither contender seems to have a definite advantage. I mean, interestingly, even though so many entities are participating in the EIM, that doesn't seem to be give them an edge and it is going to be a factor because all these utilities invested millions of dollars to upgrade their systems and make other changes to be able to feather into the eim structure Mm -hmm. so it certainly will be a cost factor ultimately though yeah also also into the into the uh spp Weiss market yeah. as, as well. well the, so. the Weiss participants, I mean, they, I, it's not clear that they would, if they're all focused on joining SPP's RTO West, uh, they're I mean, they're not looking at Markets Plus. They're looking to being becoming full SPP members. They're just looking at, at stepping over that stone, yeah, <laughs> as it were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're but just I, driving yeah. right past that exit. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think also you mentioned the transmission map, but the baseload resources are going to be a huge factor too. And who's bringing those to the table as we move to a grid that has more and more renewables and intermittent resources. Also, of course, batteries changing all the time. But you have the hydro in the Northwest in particular, and you have the carbon-free uh, Palo Verde generating station in Arizona that is, you know, the largest power plant in the country um accepting the grand coulee dam uh, <laughs> when it's really full uh, <laughs> however you know so so this is this is not a small thing and these these are the uh you know the 800 pound gorillas or whatever that if they come to the table it's going to definitely i think sway the smaller you know would be small participants uh, because everybody wants to be able to have access to that. Yeah. Yeah. There certainly are 
myriad factors to consider and that are going into this evolution of the Western interconnection. And it is amazing just how much things have changed from even just five, 10 years ago. How many times have there has there been talk and efforts to form markets in the West outside of Kaiso? And they've all foundered on this issue or that other issue. And it just seems so fundamentally different. Uh, I feel like I keep using that word fundamental, but it really is the the apt word to use here that this is just different from anything that's come before. And again, there's just so many different factors driving it. So we'll be following it closely. I know our listeners will be, and I think we're all excited for this ride. This is a really, this is the kind of stuff that we love covering. And because you get like this front seat to, I honestly like history being made. I sorry to, Wax poetical. Yeah, no, it's poetic, but it's true. We're definitely at a turning point, you know, the whole energy transition to toward renewable carbon free power and you know, organized markets and you know the more more sharing of resources. And uh so so that's been a turning point that we're in the midst of and a turning point toward an RTO in the West, I think, is we're quickly approaching. Yeah. yeah, I don't think you're overstating it, Dan. It'd be the most significant change to, you know, the Western power market structure in, in its history, if if this happens, which looks like it might or most likely will. Yeah, and I think it's going to happen faster than we expect. Uh, yeah, just with going back to like the Weiss thing, they're talking about standing up or in, wrapping them into the existing RTO as early as 2025. If they sign on the dotted line, they would become join the existing SPP RTO 2025, less than three years uh, away. And I mean, it's just, I think if folks get behind an RTO, uh, it's going to come on faster than we think is, is my guess, but I'm not, I'm not making a prediction just to be clear. Yeah. Well, like uh, there's also the legislation that requires it. Well, yeah, there's Western that states as well. So, yeah, yeah, yeah they're kind of a safe bet. signposts up ahead. So, anyway. so well, there's there's a lot to think about, a lot to digest. Uh, Jason, Abigail, thank you very much. This has been a fascinating conversation. I look forward to covering this more with you guys. Please, listeners, check in here for updates on Energy West and Public Power Underground, our other podcast, as well as our coverage uh, at newsdata.com. Thank you all for listening and everybody have a good day and we'll see you back here for updates on this and more energy news. You've been listening to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow.